Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back to Tripping Up, a comedy travel podcast all about celebrating travel, even the times when things go haywire. I'm your host, Nina Clapperton. My guest this week is a longtime friend of mine, Mina Samuels. Mina is an author, playwright, and actor. She performed in the Toronto Fringe Festival in a one-woman show before she moved to Paris to study theater. Mina recently co-founded Imagination Play Shops, a company that runs emotional intelligence workshops. When Mina isn't writing, she's an adventure traveler, taking on roads, trails, and mountains. If it makes her heart race, Mina is sure to try it. Mina's a huge inspiration to me. Not only did I start my writing journey with her, but I also developed my love of solo travel, visiting her in New York City. She is full of love and enthusiasm for life that is completely infectious. After a conversation with her, you almost believe you could run that marathon too. That's why it surprised me when Mina's trip up wasn't all about running, but it really shouldn't have. That's completely in character for her. Mina is always surprising people. Get ready for a great episode. This is Mina Samuels on Tripping Up. Now boarding. Hi, Mina. Welcome to Tripping Up, the travel podcast. We're really excited to have you here today. I am thrilled to be here with you, Nina. So for the listeners who don't know, mine is actually a longtime family friend, and I'm really excited to be chatting with her about all of her exciting travels. So to share some of your travel history with the readers, will you tell us, uh, the listeners, will you tell us um, how you travel and why you travel? How I like, my favorite way to travel is um, kind of physical adventure travel. Normally that's something like, uh, backpacking or hiking. Um, and then recently, as I've become more financially secure, what I like is to do the adventure travel and then finish it with a little bit of um, luxury, which is very nice. So for example, yeah. we, did a, we did an eight day circuit of Torres del Paine in Chile some years ago. And it's a, it's a pretty substantial um, route to do and uh including some high winds that are absolutely incredible we went by these two israeli girls who were crying behind a rock one time oh my god <laughs> they were strong and they they just they just given up trying to walk into it anyhow but then we finished by going to this lovely place sort of hidden away um four hours away that was um just absolutely fantastic and made up for all the nights of camping and all the hiking into the wind. So that's how I like to travel. That's sort of my, I prefer being outdoors in nature when I travel since I live in New York city and we do travel to other urban capitals and I like them. I enjoy that. But my favorite is when we're actually outside and moving. Um, and why I travel is, Oh, to see new things and to experience new things, new people, new places, new foods, new feasts for the eyes, um, 
new ways of thinking about the world and being in the world so that I can understand that how I live is most certainly not the only way to live. I love that. I think that's a really important thing is to kind of get other perspectives and see the rest of the world and what they're doing. Exactly. I don't want to go somewhere else and then just eat in the chain that got exported from Canada or the U.S. Yes, <laughs> which I think is a very common issue with travel. <laughs> yes, because it makes people feel safe. But for me, it actually makes me feel like, why did I bother to come all this way? Yeah, that makes sense. So what's a weird travel souvenir that you've picked up over the years? Well, my partner and I are not huge travel souvenir people. Um, I used to be more of a travel souvenir person before I met him, but there gets to a certain point where you have enough stuff. However, early on in our relationship, we went to South Africa a few times. And the first time we went to South Africa, we met up with... Um, a friend in Cape, my brother was living there, but then we met up with another friend who was living in Cape town and she took us out with her running group on table mountain. And one of the sort of crazy leaders of the running group was this guy, Arnie. And then he decided he had to take us to some shop in Cape town where we ended up buying this big, like, you know, the size of a 30 pound dog. Um, warthog fashioned of kind of rusted um, lug nuts and bits of scrap iron and steel from cars and trucks. And so it's got like these tusks that are wildly dangerous uh, and ears that are also extremely sharp. And it was pre 9-11 and so uh, I was going to say, how did you get that back? <laughs> when we got to the airport with it, the people at the check-in desk said, that's too dangerous to put underneath the plane. You need to take it on the plane with you. <laughs> so we literally took this thing on the, that was like a weapon extraordinaire and just put it up in the overhead bin with like tiny amounts of bubble wrap. I mean, that thing, we had it in our living room for a while and then, and then really like too many people kind of punctured themselves at parties or at gatherings. So now we have it out on our, um, you know, tiny little Juliet balcony here where actually I think he just belongs. He just looks, he overlooks Riverside Park. He's adorable out there and he's very safe. We're all yeah. safe from him and he's safe. <laughs> but I, think I think that's kind of cool too. Cause he's that mix of like nature and industrial that is New York at this point. Yes. Yes. He is definitely that. And I like his kind of reclaimed, I like the reclaimed recycled feel of him. And then, um, and then he also always reminds me of an absolutely fabulous run we did with this group of people um, in Cape town. So that's brilliant. I think that's always the nice thing about like, I'm not big on decorating. My friends always laugh at me because my apartments are always so bare. I don't put up pictures. I don't do anything. Um, cause I live a very, I don't know, transient lifestyle. Um, but I do think like, it's important to have things around that remind you of those really great moments and those travel adventures. Yes. You don't need too many, but just a few that just kind of give you that, I don't know, that perked up feeling. Like, yeah. Yeah, I do that. And that was so fun and wonderful. And so does the warthog and running, do they have anything to do with your tripping up story? No, they do not. Um, they don't have to. It's no, just, I'm just trying to segue. That, but uh, they don't have anything to do with each other. Um, though I probably could have figured out a South Africa tripping up story. But um, no, ours was a, a trip that we went on with um, another couple who we were friends with. And uh, we had decided that we were just going to go away for like, I think, three nights together, just upstate to... Um, uh, I forget whether it was New Hampshire or Massachusetts. Anyhow, we, and, and none of us have very much money. So it was like a big 
planning endeavor because we had to find just the right places that we could afford to stay and so yeah. on and so forth. So we got up to the place that we were supposed to stay the first night <clears throat> and um, it was supposed to be this place with like guest huts in the woods. So we had this impression that it was somewhere, you know, just kind of down a dirt road. So our first indication that it wasn't exactly as advertised was that it was right off the side of the highway that we had been on. We're like, oh, no. oh wow, this, I mean, there were woods behind it, but where we checked in was kind of right off the highway. And then you could see from the highway, the kind of guest cabins. So we were a little disappointed. We're like, okay, all right. So then we go in to the house, which seemed to be like the guy's house. And he says, okay, here are the keys. Um, that's your cabin. And he points very vaguely up towards cabins. So the four of us are like, okay. So we start heading up towards the cabin that we agree that we're not quite sure. We have to confer that we think is the cabin that he has pointed out to us is our cabin. And we go up there and we put the key in the lock and we open the door, but there's someone's stuff in the cabin. So we think, oh my gosh, okay, we're in the wrong one. And we turn around and we look and he's gesticulating to us. No, no, go to the next one, we assume. Like, okay, so we go to the next one and we put the key in the lock and we open the door. Same thing. Someone else's stuff is in there. And he's like, now he's big gestures to us about which direction we're supposed to go. So this happens one more time. Key works in the lock, someone else's stuff. So at this point, we're thinking, wow, he just has one key for every single cabin. <laughs> that doesn't seem very silly. You know, we've kind of, we have like a very you know, one of those microscopic quick discussions and we decide that's okay. What do we really care? Like what's someone going to steal from us? You're going to take my runners. You're going to referring to your Canadian slang blog post. Thank um, you. <laughs> no, uh, I'd always wondered why no one said runners here. It didn't really occur to me. It was a Canadianism. Anyhow, There's so, so many Canadianisms I didn't know. <laughs> they're great. And I love Keener. Anyways, so yes. now the guy's running after us. And we're grateful because we're thinking, good, he's going to show us where our cabin finally is. Oh, no. He arrives and he's screaming at us at the top of his lungs. You get off my property, you perverts. Perverts? You're, you know, you're just trying to steal things from people. I mean, he goes on and on with all these accusations of our nefariousness. And we are so far from nefarious and, um, and also just completely confused. And the guy is, you know, he feels kind of out of his mind to us now. Yeah. And now we don't feel safe because we were, we're thinking, whoa. Even if we found our cabin, clearly the same key works everywhere. And I just don't want him to have, so like, okay, we're like, you know what? Forget it. Forget. We're just going to leave. So we head back to the car and he's like, yeah, you get off my property. You get off my property. You creeps, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and my friend, Anne says, you know, that's fine. But, um, you know, we want our refund first she had paid with her Amex and, um, you know, we don't want to lose our money. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he starts screaming. He's like, if you think you're going to get a refund, oh, and he goes on, oh, no, he's absolutely not going to give us a refund. So me and Anne and her partner, Robert and I were a little bit kind of cowed by this guy, but my partner, David was like, you're giving us a refund. And I was like, I'm not giving you the refund. And he just walks into his house and David follows him into his house, follows him past the reception desk into his TV room, his living room, personal living room, and then just oh, wow. sits down in his personal living room with the guy. And the guy's like, I'm going to call the cops. And David's like, call the cops. I'm not leaving until you give us a refund for our cabin. This place isn't as represented. And also we've clearly had a falling out and we want our money back. And the three of us sit out in the car. I, I don't know. I think we were scared because we thought he might have a gun. I mean, okay. the United States and it's, you know, a little bit in the countryside. So there's always that feeling. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, and also, you know, I think it's New Hampshire's slogan is live free or die. <laughs> I mean, that's not the most positive. Of no, no. I mean, I'm a little like, ah. So the three of us are cowering in the car, which is hilarious because um, neither of the three of us are cowering types. I mean, my friend Anne went on to be like, you know, the executive director of the Soros Foundation. And then, you know, she's pleaded cases in front of the Supreme Court of the, U- the U.S. Supreme Court. And anyhow, um, so we must have waited. It was a long time. I mean, I think we were out there for an hour. Well, and oh, every wow. once in a while I would scurry in and I would literally just look around the corner to see if David was still, and David was just like sitting in the guy's lazy boy. And the guy was watching TV pretending that David wasn't there. <laughs> and then we got our refund. Wow. Refund. I mean, impressive. I know. I, we, and we were so happy that we got the refund. And then it was just like anything, anywhere. We just, we were, I can't even remember where we ended up staying, but, um, We've never forgotten it. It was just, it was so unexpected in such a pastoral location. Yeah. You know, versus like, I remember being in, in um, uh, Zimbabwe at one point with a friend of mine and we stayed and we stayed in a dodgy hotel and we had to leave the hotel in the middle of the night because the bar got so loud and men started knocking on our door, but you kind of expected that. Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm shocked. I can't believe this would happen to me here. But where we were, it just seemed so unexpected to be, and also to be called perverts. That really, we really all got a kick out of that one. Like perverts. That's great. Wow. (laughs) Okay. And it's just like, it's not a really common word to have somebody, I don't know, like creep or something, but pervert has that like, like extra, I don't know, oomph to it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, it's the level 11 when you're just trying to check in to a little guest house place. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Did you end up finding somewhere else to stay then? We did. I don't remember it being significant at all. And when I was... um when I was, but then we had a good story, which we, yeah. which we retold to each other, which we have retold to each other for all the years since then. And, um, but I don't really remember specifically the rest of the trip because I was talking to David about it and I was saying, Oh, is that the trip when we did blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, you're confounding like four different trips that we took with <laughs> that and making it into one like giant, like mishmash of a trip. So, uh, we traveled with them enough that I obviously <laughs> put things all together. That's so nice though to have like that bonding experience of it's, I mean, it's an insane bonding experience, but it's kind of like when you're in like first year uni and you go through like the trenches together or something ridiculous, like exams or university accommodations, which this guy's place kind of sounds worse than uni accommodations. <laughs> um, at least there you had your own key. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's true. It's true. And for example, these are friends that we don't see that often anymore because they've moved to Texas. Um, But I do always have that feeling when I see them of the closeness of the trips that we've taken together. Like it enables, um, it enables the distance to exist without setting in or taking that away from us yeah I think that's kind of the nice thing too about like that's what I like about having friends all over the world and with I mean digital connections help so much but yeah when you go through something together um you're friends for life doesn't matter like what else happens you always have that story to come back to to like kind of center you again yes yeah it's true it's true I love it. I mean, I expected a running story, I'll be honest. So <laughs> I, so when I decided to pick my, my own travel story to tell you, I was trying to fit like the running exercise motif. I was thinking like, I don't uh, know. You should have told me. I'm sure I could have <laughs> but that's all right. I'm, I'm happy to hear your running story. It'll be fun. I mean, so it's not running. I'll say that. Um, I 
did, I've started running a lot more actually since I read your first book. Um, I taught myself how to run again because I've had problems with my knees. So super inspirational. Thank you, Mina. Um, but also, okay, so basically the story is um, I went to New Zealand and I decided I was going to travel the country at first because, I mean, who wants to get a job? I'd found a cheap ticket, went to New Zealand, figured I would start a new life there or something. Um, and found a bus tour because, of course, the best way to start a new life is on a bus tour <laughs> um, with a bunch of drunk British people. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that is a launching pad, well-known launching pad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so part of the bus tour is that, like, you go kind of all the way around New Zealand and you hit all of those key points. And one of the key points, I'm a total Lord of the Rings nerd. Um, I actually didn't get into it until university where I studied it in my university lectures. Um, I took a whole class just on The Hobbit, which was, oh, such a nerdy point in my life. And I loved it. But so I knew I wanted to see Mount Doom. And for people that don't know, Mount Doom is the volcano at the end of Lord of the Rings. He throws the rings into to or the ring to destroy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was filmed everything in like everything is filmed in New Zealand. I didn't know how many things were filmed in New Zealand, but especially Lord of the Rings. So it's actually a real hike. It's not just this one mountain. It's called the Tongariro Crossing. Um, and I was thinking, yeah, it's like it's up one volcano. That'll be fine because you just go up, you go back down. I can climb stairs. I can handle it. I'm fit. It's great. I got this. And then we got there and they hand me a pamphlet that says it's a 20 kilometer hike. Um, (laughs) I was like, what? Um, Wow. I think I, I thought I signed on for like a, maybe a 5k, maybe. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And so the worst part actually is that like we just come off this bus tour. So we've been like partying in like Rotorua with the Maori people. We've been in Auckland. Like we've not, no one's been preparing for a 20 kilometer hike. I mean, thank God I had my hiking boots because I figured that like I would need something. Uh, but they kind of, they gave us like the whole spiel on the bus of what to bring, how to eat, um, to handle it. Cause none of us knew. I mean, I've hiked before. I've climbed a couple mountains in like Switzerland or something, but there's usually a gondola to get you up to the top. So when you're climbing the mountain, you're like climbing the summit, but I can say that I climbed a mountain. So wow. it counts. Okay. Right. <laughs> it was, yeah. Admittedly, the, the one time I really did that, I had to get to a therapy after. So I was trying to run up the mountain to get back to my hostel for therapy. Um, yeah. But so this time, <laughs> so this time I didn't have that issue this time. It's just the hike the whole day. You stay in um, Taupo for an extra day. And actually the day before I'd gone skydiving. So I couldn't hear out of one of my ears because it still hadn't popped yet. So I'm trying to like do this hike with, you have to pack a ton of layers because you leave for it first thing in the morning when it's quite dark, quite cold. And then you're climbing these mountains. So eventually you get hot, you have to take them all off. So we've all gone and like, no one's gotten real food. We've all gotten like, Oreos and Tim Tams and whatever. (laughs) Um, Luckily, I'm hypoglycemic, so I have to bring real food. But the amount of people with just like their whole bag with just crisps was insane. (laughs) Um, Because, of course, that's the power food you need to get up a mountain. Absolutely. And even though it's like one, it's probably the best known hike in New Zealand, it's not well maintained. So the parking lots, like if you're trying to do it yourself, you have to basically get a bus anyway, because it's like point A and point B, and there's no loop to get back to point A. So it's a straight 20 kilometers. And luckily we had this bus. So like we were set. Um, But what we didn't know is that none of the trails are kind of well set. It's like someone has put a chain, just like they've drilled it into part of the mountain maybe 20 years ago. And there's rock crumbling out when you tug on it as you try to like descend these half stairs, half stone, basically just a steep cliff. You're trying to like scale all these things while you're with all these like friends that you've made three days before. So you're still trying to look pretty and like pretend that you're not out of breath and dying the whole time. Um, So like you're trying to like hold a conversation while you're like, oh yeah, that's really cool. (laughs) Just you you pretend that you're way fitter than you are but it was i mean admittedly it was beautiful 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Um... Another problem was Mount Doom is the first thing you see. So you climb up and then you're there, but you're like a third of the way through the hike. So then you have two thirds left and you've seen the thing you're meant to see. And I got really lucky. I was there on a day when it was not cloudy, which is a huge issue in New Zealand. Um, It's much like Britain where it's almost always overcast. So my stepsister went to see it and didn't get to actually, she climbed the whole thing and never saw Mount Doom because of wow. cloud cover. Oh, that's so sad. yeah. And like, and we got there literally five minutes later, the clouds roll in and you can't see anything. You're just inside a cloud, but that's when you sit down and you have your Tim Tams and you've already seen it. So it's okay. <laughs> you have to um, tell me what Tim Tams are. Oh, okay. Sorry. Tim Tams are like the typical Aussie New Zealand snack where it's kind of like a Kit Kat where it's like a layered kind of chocolate bar wafer thing. Um, in like two, in little, um, yeah, like little biscuit styles and it's, yeah, it's, it's just the most popular cookie there. I think it's pure sugar. They're usually like kind of chocolate cookies with the chocolate filling. Um, you can get them coated now though, and like extra chocolate around it. You can get caramel or mint or God knows what. Um, I actually only bought them when I was in New Zealand to bring back for Sophie, my little sister, because that was her one demand was like, you're going to New Zealand. Don't come home safe. Just bring me Tim Tams. Um, and then I came home and it turns out they sell them in the grocery store across the street. So I was like, cool, <laughs> great. My whole efforts are thwarted. Okay. I'm not the cool older sister anymore. <laughs> yeah. But they're just like, they're the snack that you have to get when you're there, I guess. I like all the other things better personally. Um, and I did a whole blog post about it, but <laughs> it was, yeah, it was just what everyone ate. Cause you kind of had to. So they are pure sugar. They're worse than Oreos, in my opinion. So I wouldn't say eating a whole pack on top of a mountain is a good idea. And I think most people started to feel that when we had to, it's kind of a descent from there. Like you're, you go straight up almost vertically initially. And then the rest is this really slow, like there's one point to get down from the mountain where you're looking at Mount Doom. It's just gravel. So there's all these old guys with like their, special hiking poles and their special boots and they are just running down this thing and then you have like all these fit 20 year olds who are sliding on their ass and like falling and grabbing at things I mean it's a miracle none of us fell off the mountain um people definitely have twisted ankles and probably broken things there because like oh my god it's it's pure gravel it's like someone dumped a mound of gravel on this giant mountain 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was treacherous. And then you get to the bottom of that and you're like, cool, I'm almost done. I'm here at the Emerald Lakes. They're these really beautiful glacial lakes that like look bright green and bright blue from the, from the minerals of the volcanic ash in the soil. Mm-hmm. And you're like, cool, beautiful. I'm done now, please. But no. And then it keeps going. Like, at that point, you're halfway. So you have 10 kilometers of nothing, of like nothing interesting. I had gone to New Zealand in Canadian winter thinking I'll avoid Canadian winter. But lo and behold, you have to hike through snow on part of this trek. Oh, wow. At this point, I'm in a tank top, so I'm not prepared. Um, It's not a ton of snow, but it's enough to make me angry. Because like being sunburnt while your feet are in snow is not my ideal. Mm. And yeah, and I mean, we got to the bottom eventually. It was like the longest meandering thing where you could see the straight shot, but it had to meander instead. So you're like, I could just roll down this mountain. I could just give up and just roll through the brush and hope for the best at the bottom. But I mean, luckily my friends talked me out of that. I was very close to doing it though. Um, yeah, I mean, we did it. It was brilliant. None of us could walk the next day. Um, they don't really, I mean, I could, cause I decided to go out and like, I just kept walking that whole afternoon, even though my feet, I swear to God, if they weren't bleeding externally, they were bleeding internally. Right. If that's a thing that feet can do. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of okay. Cause I'd accidentally done the right aftercare, which I didn't know I was doing where everyone else went back and slept in the hostel bunk beds. And then we all went drinking in the evening. So it was like, ah, <laughs> we yeah. think we're so oh, resilient. Great recovery food. Right there. Yeah, it was. Um, I think we had. I think we all had like fish and chips for dinner too. So it was like mostly batter and very little actual food that was going into any of us. It was very much like a twenty-year-old version of trying to do anything helpful and active, <laughs> where you think you're invincible. And I mean, I don't drink anymore, so I think I've definitely learned my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fish and chips sounds like a pretty good restorative meal. I'll say it's better than Tim Tams. True. I mean, it was from a hostel pub, though, so I don't know how quality a hostel pub. Like that's, I think that's the problem is that I think it was just beer batter and fish was like in brackets. <laughs> right, 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 right. There was a fish in the room. At yeah. The same time that we cooked it. It's like you can smell the fish from the neighboring fishmonger, but that's not us. <laughs> exactly. Um, so now that we've both shared our tripping up stories, would you mind sharing the listener mail that I sent you? Absolutely. So this comes from Laura and she says, Hey Nina, I'm a huge fan of your podcast. So I thought I'd write to you with my own travel fail. I went on a trip to Siem Reap, Cambodia with my friend and her boyfriend. In hindsight, let me just say, do not go on a two week holiday as the third wheel. One morning, we all climbed in the tuk-tuk to go to Angkor Wat, and they were silent. I thought it might be early morning grumpiness, so I ignored it, when all of a sudden, he goes, do you want to tell her or should I? Uh Uh-oh. After a bit of to and fro, my friend said, and of my friend saying, please don't, and him going, I'm going to, it was revealed that my friend thought that her boyfriend was flirting with me. Awkwardly, I tried to say that I just thought that because we had only met on that trip, it was just a mutual friendliness to get to know each other. This did not convince her. So we looked around the temple in a weird silence as he, for lack of a better word, had a tantrum saying he couldn't speak to anyone. It was not a good time. So I did what I thought was best and kept quiet. Upon coming back to the tuk-tuk, we saw our guide had picked up a chicken and was petting it. When he saw us approaching, he put the chicken underneath the seat of his tuk-tuk. We asked him about it, and apparently it was his pet that he kept in his tuk-tuk. The chicken had been with us the whole time. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Little did our guide know, he broke the tension between the group, and whilst I am genuinely concerned for that chicken's welfare, side note, so am I, Yeah. (laughs) grateful for the change in topic. My advice, avoid the nonsense and avoid being a third wheel. But also check the seats if you go on a tuk-tuk because you don't always know about the additional passengers. I love your podcast. That's 
that's amazing. Thank you, Laura. <laughs> um, yeah, I would also be concerned for that chicken. Um, I, I don't know a lot about anger or what, but I've heard that it's very hot there. So to be stuck under someone's bum is not a great idea. <laughs> no, it doesn't seem like the primo chicken spot. I'm also very suspicious of the, the chicken is my friend thing. The only thing yeah. in the chicken's favor that I will say is that um, I recall when we were traveling, we were doing a, a long trek in Pakistan, um, our little group of four, which was me and David and my brother and his now wife, um, there was a huge Spanish group that was doing the same trek to the base of, um, of K2. Um, they, we had a vegetarian menu, but they had a menu that included meat. And so they started out the trip with like these cloth bags with chickens in them and a goat who was oh. hiking with them. And the chickens kind of went first, uh, and then the goat. That was very sad. We, oh, we were yeah. like, oh, my God. We, I, for some reason, we knew when the goat day was, so we all went to say goodbye to the goat. But uh, the fact that this guy's chicken was not in a cloth bag suggests to me that maybe it was actually his friend. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping it's like a female, so maybe he gets, like, eggs from it. Like, maybe there's a different route. <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe there's actually eggs underneath his seat. That's, like, her hatching because – Chickens do like extreme amounts of privacy for um, laying and um, nesting on their eggs. Well, and if it's hot enough there, I mean, that could help incubate it too. So maybe, maybe this is all his secret plot. Maybe he has like a secret chicken hatchery in yes. his tuk-tuk as a second I, business. I think we've totally got the better way to the story. <laughs> yeah, the I like, I like our version better. <laughs> yeah, I definitely like our version better. <laughs> Amazing. Well, after all these travel mishaps, um, I like to end on a positive because I think it's important that we remember that travel is a positive, even when things go really wrong, even if uh, boyfriends nearly cheat on their girlfriends with you <laughs> on a trip. I mean, I do think it's funny that your story had like your partner being the noble hero. And in this one, the partner is the problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. Wow. I was not impressed by his tantrum, I have to say. No, me either. I mean, that's why I solo travel. It's just like, I don't have time for, I don't know, your hormones. <laughs> yes. Other people's. It's funny, my story uh, actually involves a partner. Um, okay. But a previous one. So you asked for a sort of cel celebratory um, travel story. Yeah. And um, so this story is from 2010, I think is when we did it. Um, but like 20 years before, uh, in nine, oh, I know when it was. It was right after we um, graduated from, my, your mother and I graduated from law school. Oh my goodness. In 1990. So it was literally 20 years. So 20 years before I had um, done this big trip to Africa and I had gone to Kilimanjaro with my ex. And um, when we started the final day's ascent, the way it works in Kilimanjaro is you wake up like at 3 a.m. You wake up at like, actually, I want to say midnight. And then you start hiking to summit at dawn mm -hmm. on the top of, of Kili. And um, we were probably a third of the way up. And my um, then partner started to get altitude sickness and, um, uh, and he wanted to turn around. And I felt like I had to because he had turned around. So we went back down. And um, even though I felt fine. Yeah. And uh, that haunted me for like 20 years. I just thought... I guess it was nice of me to turn around, but I don't think it would have been not nice of me to continue and actually summit this like thing. So then 20 years, fast forward 20 years later, it turned, it works out that um, David and I join a trip that's about running from um, Mombasa on the coast all the way to the base of Kilimanjaro. That's like the first part of the trip. Uh, which was to raise money for um, an organization called Shoe for Africa. And then we were going to climb Kilimanjaro. 
So that was great. So we start the run and um, second day of the run, uh, and it's like long, we're running like 25 to 30 miles a day. The second day of the run, I think it was the second day, could even have been the first day, I messed up my toe so badly that I couldn't run anymore. So then all I'm thinking about is, oh my God, I'm not gonna be able to climb Kilimanjaro for the second time in a row and I'm gonna be so mad. So um, we get to Kilimanjaro. I haven't run for like four days. I haven't, I could barely walk. And then, uh, and I'm just like, I'm just gonna try. I'm just gonna jam my foot in my boot and I'm just gonna do it. So anyways, long story short, uh, we go up Kilimanjaro and, um, and I go to the summit and I'm so excited to be, cause I just feel like, Oh my God, 20 years I have waited for this. And, yeah. uh, and it was thrilling. And then, um, uh, there were three of us who summited together. Um, these two guys, Dean and Rodney and, uh, Rodney was a longtime running friend of her, of ours. And, uh, and then we got to come down and that was just like pure joy. First of all, we didn't, it was light out now. So we didn't have to follow the trail. Um, we kind of dispensed with the guides because the guides were waiting for the rest of our party to summit. And so we literally just ran, we kind of, it was almost like we were skiing on our hiking boots down the side of the mountain back to the camp where you leave from. We picked up a couple other people who were in the camp, including my um, partner, David, uh, who had had some altitude. Um, altitude doesn't always agree with him. And so yeah. uh, it had knocked him um, back. But um, now he was feeling better when we got back down. And so then Dean was waiting for someone, but Rodney... And David and I ran the rest of the way down to the bottom of Kilimanjaro. In one shot, it was like 18 miles, I think, the route oh that we God. did. And um, we were not wearing running shoes. We were wearing our hiking boots. But, you know, as you come down from altitude, you gain strength as you get more oxygen. And so we were just, we were just like, tearing down the mountain across lava fields, you know, down through the woods. And it was just so beautiful. We had so much fun. And I just remember like this feeling of great joy and accomplishment when we got to the bottom and then you like register that you, you know, have made it up Kilimanjaro. And I remember our friend Rodney um, who owns a salon is like, I want to be registered as the first hairdresser who made it to the top today. <laughs> and then we just sat in this like, you know, kind of bar at the bottom and drank beer and ate crisps and just to, took off our boots and our socks and just sat there in our bare feet. Oh, it was so pleasurable. It was so pleasurable. Yeah. Anyhow, that was my story. I love it. I mean, I, th I think like that freedom of coming down from Kilimanjaro, like that sounds, that sounds incredible. And I mean, I love that after 20 years, you were able to go back and kind of make that a reality and with your whole new life, with a new partner, with, I know between like law school and becoming an author, things changed a lot in your life. So you kind of got to have that, I don't know, maybe it was karma or not karma, maybe it was fate where it's like, they were telling you that that wasn't the time to do it. And you needed to do it when you could have that moment of running down. Yes. Yeah. Because I probably wouldn't have run down and it was, it was just sort of a, it made the point that, that an accomplishment is all the sweeter when you wait for it. Not that yeah. I want to wait, you know, 20 years for <laughs> each thing that I accomplished in my life, but the, but that when it happens, it is pretty great if you waited that long, you yeah. know, for the, for the rush. I love that. I mean, I've had the kind of the opposite. I was going to try and tell a positive, but I think this is kind of an ironic positive where, um, <laughs> I've always wanted to go to, <laughs> I've always wanted to go to Paris and to Venice. Those have been like two places in my life where I don't know. I think it's because 
I'm not very good. When someone tells me I can't do something, I'm not very good about accepting that. So my mom from a young age told me that you can't go to Paris or Venice until you're in love. And I think she said it to be sweet. I mean, it, I love your face right now. Um, she, that's where she, it's where she got engaged with my stepdad. It's yeah. I mean, I think Venice, she was trying to also dissuade me because she knows it's expensive. And back then I was still on her dime. So she didn't want to take me and then have me yeah. buy all the glass because <laughs> back then I was a hoarder. Now I'm very minimalist, but I, in the end I wore her down and um, she took me on a trip to Paris, the two of us. And everything went wrong and I think it's like the two times I tried to go to Venice as well it got rained out one time the next time um something else happened and the city flooded so it's kind of my positive I guess is I'm looking forward to eventually going there and hoping that they're good trips but it does seem like either my mom has like I mean, she always says she knows people because she's Russian, but sometimes I genuinely think she knows like some sort of Greek god of thunder who's making all this happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it does seem like you kind of need to wait till you're in the right place to do it. And maybe she's right. You do need to go when you're in love, but that may not be. Yeah, well, I kept trying to argue that I was in love with croissants and I was in love with pizza and that that was good enough. Um which I thought was very clever for like a 13 year old. Yeah. <laughs> um, now it's not as strong of an argument, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and one day, I mean, and worst case too, it's like, they're still there. So, I mean, everyone says Venice is sinking, so maybe it's not there, but everyone, everywhere else is there. <laughs> yes. No, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. Yeah. You have to find the not clever thing. Like yeah. that you are, um, in love with or person or yeah element of life I don't know I mean I've always just assumed that it'll be a dog and I'll end up like I don't know road tripping with a bus with a puppy um wow which will be hard in Venice considering there are no roads but other than that I think it's a great plan <laughs> wow yes road tripping with a puppy that's that's but please not to get scatological, but please don't do as the Parisians do and just leave your dog to use the sidewalk as its bathroom without picking up after it. No, no, never. <laughs> all right. All right. You have permission to go to Paris with your beloved dog. Thank you. I just need to actually get into a place where I can get a dog now <laughs> once I'm not living in an Airbnb anymore. Yes, that's true. Well, this has been such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Mina. It was a great pleasure, Nina. I loved it. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day. Surprise, Mina did manage to sneak a running story in there. Her travel triumph hit me so hard, though. Not only is it amazing that she was able to climb Kilimanjaro, but she was also able to overcome the limitations of her younger self. She grew in confidence and was able to focus on what was right for her. I think that's an amazing message for group travelers. It's one of the things I really struggle with, which is why I like to travel solo so much. No compromise, no limiting yourself. Anyway, if you're anxious for more of Mina's wisdom, check out her series, Run Like a Girl. The two books are Run Like a Girl, How Strong Women Make Happy Lives, and Run Like a Girl, 365 Days a Year. Mina explores the impact sports have on women's lives. In the first book of the series, you'll meet a triathlete raising an autistic son, a woman who ran her first marathon at 60, a young mother with scoliosis who found health by cycling, and countless other women, including Mina herself. These personal stories show that physical strength leads to psychological strength. It's actually the book that got me into running when I was an undergrad. Her newer book, Run Like a Girl 365 Days a Year is a unique kind of self-help book that inspires you with every page. Each day, Mina shares a new inspirational antidote to the things that hold us back in life. She motivates you to celebrate your athleticism and find the power in your strength. Even if you don't run, I didn't when I started the series, you'll feel the incredible power of women in the pages. Run Like a Girl is a series that inspires you to accomplish your dreams and learn to appreciate your body. You can get the series wherever fine books are sold. I'll link them in the show notes. Thank you for joining me for another amazing episode of Tripping Up. Was one episode not enough travel for you? 
head to ninaoutandabout.ca for more travel insights, tips, guides, and a few travel mishaps. Some recent articles that might interest you are 15 unique solo staycation ideas at home, what kind of solo traveler are you, 10 pros and cons of living in Canada, it's hard to pack when you hate your body, and a guide to over 100 Canadian slang terms, like sneakers. Tune in in two weeks for another exciting guest on a great episode of Tripping Up. I look forward to seeing you then. Cheers! Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.